volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Welcome to the final episode of season two of Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership. I am Sal Sylvester, your host and founder and CEO of 512 Solutions, an executive coaching and leadership development firm based here in Boulder, Colorado, helping leaders create healthy and aligned organizations that enable humanity to thrive. I am thrilled to have you join us today. It is hard, hard to believe that this is our final episode of season two. It's been an indescribable season. We started the year off with a plan, as I know many of you did as well. And then we interrupted the season to provide timely and relevant content to help organizations through this pandemic. Today, we're coming to you with a very different format than what we've done throughout the season. And I think you're going to have some fun with it. Given the change, the complexity, and the unprecedented experience that we've all had these last four, five, six months, I wanted to share some highlights from season two to bring you the most valuable insights that will help you emerge from this pandemic stronger than ever. And part of what I'm excited about and proud of as I listen to end on all of these episodes that we recorded throughout the season is that we released 12 different leadership tools throughout the season, one tool for each of our episodes. And I'm just excited that we've made these available to help you lead with intention and with more humanity. All of these tools are completely free and they're accessible on our episode page on our website at 512solutions.com. So you can just go out to each episode and and find the relevant tools. I invite you to check those out. I know they're going to add a ton of value for you uh, throughout the remainder of this year and into 2021. All right. So let's jump back into season two and hear from each of our inspirational guests. We kicked off season two in January 2020 with Eric Reamer, an incredibly successful entrepreneur who has started and sold three businesses over the past 20 years and whose current venture, EverCommerce, was valued at close to $2 billion in its most recent round of financing. Eric and I talked about how to create a platform that enables people to thrive and the direct correlation between business results and enabling people to be more of who they really are in the workplace. I asked Eric a bonus question that didn't air during the episode. Here it is. Eric, what's the number one trait from your perspective that the leader of the future must possess to be successful and why is that so important? That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I would say, uh, you know, if extremely high level uh, emotional intelligence, I think mm. high EQ is going to be the most important thing going forward with automation, with AI, with technology, a lot of tasks are going to be just automated, honestly. And, you know, the people that can separate and understand other human behaviors 
and, and understand how to interact and, and react in a way that allows other people to be successful in, a, in an ongoing, changing, evolving, dynamic world that we're going to live in. I mean, the world's just going like this. It's just going faster and faster, faster, faster. Yeah. But if you have the ability to evolve, you have the ability to help other people evolve through your EQ, I think that's going to be incredibly important for, uh, for just people in general, but definitely for leadership uh, going forward. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. My pleasure. Next up was John Wittry, a senior executive coach, master facilitator, and strategic planner on the 512 Solutions team. John and I spoke about creating a strategic framework to start 2020 off on the right track. We also talk about topics like accountability. And during the original interview, John and I iterated that even the best plans when executed by a dysfunctional team will not succeed. John shared an insight and a bonus question that is probably more important now than ever as business plans are either temporarily or completely obsolete. So John, I've got a bonus question for you today. What's the number one thing leaders can do right now to create more clarity for their people and alignment on their teams? Yeah, uh, it's a fantastic question. Practice talking about anything and everything. I think my experience is that leaders and teams that can articulate, can talk about anything, any problems, any difficulties, any upsets, get it externalized, are so much more effective than teams that hold all of that stuff in. So whatever training, whatever books, whatever that you can do to help your team feel safe talking about absolutely anything and everything. I call it the squiggly line concept. Hmm. Being able to talk about all my squiggly lines, my disappointments, my frustrations, things that I, 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 um, I've been let down over. If I can articulate those, if I can let them out, I am a much more effective individual. Teams that do that as a team are much more effective teams. Talk Thanks, about John. those squiggly lines. Yeah, love it. Squiggly lines. All right, everybody. Talk about those squiggly lines. Thanks, John. In early February, we released a podcast with Courtney Graham, a strategic human resource management leader and the chief people officer at Four Winds Interactive. Courtney's an incredible leader who talked about how she worked with her team members at Four Winds to create an aligned and people-first culture. During a bonus question, I asked Courtney how she disconnects to enable her to become the best version of herself when she's at home and also at work. So Courtney, as an executive in a tech company, uh, a mother, person who's heavily involved in her community, and in the midst of all the complexity and the, and the increasing, increasingly fast pace of our workplace, how do you disconnect from all of that to make time for what's important to you outside of work? Mm -hmm. You know, it's a great question. And I think it's something that I constantly have to bring back to the forefront and, and remind myself that this is a priority to disconnect. And, you know, I think it's really to have a plan and, mm -hmm. and how you're going to do that. And so yeah. for me, you know, when I started in this company, um, I sat down with the president and I said, look, I am 100% committed to this job. I will do whatever it takes for us to be successful. But I do need to let you know that I have a family at home and they're very important to me. So when I get home, I'm going to disconnect. And if you need me, 
I want you, you can call me, you can text me, um, but I'm probably not going to check my email between like seven and nine. And, you know, I think it, it created such a relief for me by having that conversation with the person I reported to, to just set that expectation. And her immediate response was Courtney, Oh my gosh, of course. Um, so I think setting that up from the beginning, and I know seven to nine isn't a big window, but for me, you know, by the time I get home at seven, I want to have dinner with my family. Right. I want to just put them to bed. Um, and then I might, I'll probably would get online, but at least I've set that expectation right. that this is my plan and we talk about it up front. The other thing that I do is I plan out physical fitness is super important to me. It's something that re-energizes me. It makes me feel good about mm -hmm. myself. Um, and so I plan it out for the whole week. And for me, I do it super early in the morning because that's that's the way I like to set my day up. And so, you know, scheduling it like a meeting and prepping myself mentally for it the night before. And then the other thing I do, because we all also get caught up in just the chaos of home, home life, mm -hmm. right? In your personal mm -hmm. life. Yes. Is I have a mental, uh, well, I have a physical spot on the freeway. I drive in from Castle Rock to downtown every day. Mm -hmm. And so when I pass this certain exit on the way to work, I mentally tell myself, I'm going to leave everything I just came from at home. And I'm going to get energized for what I'm walking into. And this is cheesy, but I, I literally tell myself, game on. All right. I'm going to be my best self when I walk in these doors. Right. Um, right. And I'm going to be the leader that, that I want to be. And so, and then when I leave, I do the same thing. When I go through that, go under that certain viaduct, I tell myself, okay, I'm going to try to leave everything I just came from at work. And I'm going to try to be really present when I get home with my kids. And so I think just having a plan and, and then executing it. I mean, it's really similar to work. Right. right. <laughs> like, and sometimes you might deviate, um, but trying to remind myself, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to really try to do this. You know, it's a fresh start today. Thank you, Courtney. That's incredible. Back in February, I spoke with Doug Gray, the CEO of Action Learning Associates and author of three books. And we talked about objectives and key results, OKRs as a mean to align in organization while giving employees a sense of agency, impact, and value. Here's how Doug responded to his bonus question. All right, Doug, so I've got a bonus question for you. And the question is, what is the number one thing leaders can do right now to create more clarity for their people and alignment on their teams? So the phrase practicing leadership comes to mind. Attorneys get to practice law, physicians get to practice medicine. Why is it that leaders don't get to practice leadership? I think it's as simple as giving ourselves permission to write it down, share it with others, solicit feedback from others, and learn that we're going to make mistakes. Thanks, Doug. My pleasure. And then in early March, I released my last quote-unquote normal episode, at least the last episode in the old normal right before COVID became a reality for us in the United States. As it turns out, this was an extremely timely episode with Pat Reisner, the former president of BHP Billiton's U.S. coal business. Because Pat and I spoke extensively about leading through crisis, I asked Pat a similar question that I asked Courtney Grant. Here's his response. And by the way, stay tuned for the next clip about his response on how to lead through crisis. Pat, in the midst of all of the stressors, complexity, and the pace of our workplace, how do you disconnect and find ways to 
be present at home with your family and other aspects of your personal life outside of work? How do you find that integration between work and life? Well, it's not easy. It is a challenge. Uh, I guess at a high level, the thing that I've found I have to do, if we think about your role as a leader in the workplace, a big element of it is doing what you said you would do. It's that integrity with your team and with the people you work with and with the organization. And I think what's worked for me is I have to think about it in the same way in terms of with myself and, um, Mm. And holding myself accountable uh, to to do a few things to create that balance. So, what are the couple of things uh, that I have to commit to myself that are sacred, uh, and and I will maintain that same level of integrity with myself in terms of doing what I said I would do. And for me, that's spending time with my kids. There's a few things that are just off limits. I don't miss. I find ways to do it because I've made that commitment to myself and trying to stay active and in part and parcel to that is really understanding what does provide that balance, what you do truly enjoy that helps you recharge the batteries and and gain fulfillment outside the workplace and uh, have that same level of integrity in terms of doing what you said you'd do with yourself. Thanks, Pat. And then COVID-19 hit. We completely interrupted our plan for season two and started producing new content to help leaders through the crisis. Here are a few clips from our Communicating Through Crisis episode, where we bring back Pat Reisner, who talked in our our last episode about leading through crisis. We also created a downloadable leadership tool to help you communicate during times of uncertainty. You can download that tool on our episode page at 512solutions.com. It's Saturday morning, March 14th, and everything feels like it's in upheaval. Here in Boulder, Colorado, school systems are closing, offices are making work from home mandatory, and people are canceling travel. On top of that, there's an oil crisis going on between Russia and Saudi Arabia, and the stock market is in complete turmoil. If you think this feels a little bit chaotic right now, you are not alone. Pat, you've also led previous organizations through major change efforts, demergers, catastrophic events in business. What's your insight or advice on how leaders need to be able to bring those chaotic moments back in under a better sense of control or security, if you will? How do you lead through big change like that? There's there's several elements to it. The one simple high-level one that I think is most critical is in times like that, you have to find a way and prioritize as a leadership team to just spend more time with your people. There has to be more face time, and it needs to be in ways, both formal and informal, where you can listen. You know, at times you've just, you just have to, to be out there with your team, providing context, thinking there's got to be relentless effort to provide context that you can. In many of those instances, there's only so much you either know or can provide, but relentless about providing the context that you can and listening and Mm -hmm. engaging and listening to your people. So that has to be stepped up, you know, an order of magnitude in those, in those crisis situations. The other, I think is it's important as a leader not to be aloof or disconnected with the reality of the situation, but to some extent, there needs to be some 
you know, in the way in which you engage people, a sense of calm, being able to create mm-hmm. a sense of calm and seeing in a leader that, that we actually can get in front of this. Part of the role of the leader, I think, is helping the workforce gain some sense of control and some sense that there is a way through this and some sense of where the light at the end of the tunnel is. I think the the other one is you need to simplify mm-hmm. to the fullest extent you can. You've really got to take unnecessary work. You've got to take things that aren't really contributing to solving the problem at hand. You have to eliminate that. You have to take yeah. that out of the business and really significantly simplify the world of everyone involved so they can focus on on the things that matter most on themselves and their family and their well-being but also on solving the, the great problems and coming up with the, the ways in which you need to work through that. Last thing I'll say, transparency to the fullest extent possible and honesty and integrity. So it can erode trust at times when you're in those situations and ultimately being as transparent as you can, as timely with that information and as open and honest as you can is yeah. Today's environment is calling on leaders to act and think differently. As an executive level leader, you need a coach that can ask the right questions and provide the right tools so that you can adapt and grow in ways that lead to long-term success for your organization and your teams. In response to COVID-19 and our increasingly complex world, we created a new coaching program called The Changing Leader. In response to COVID-19 and our increasingly complex world, we created a new coaching program called The Changing Leader for senior and executive leaders. During this highly targeted program, you'll change the way you think, you'll change the way you connect with others, and you'll change the way you align your organization so that you can lead others more effectively in the midst of crisis, change, and complexity. We only have a few slots available for this special program, so if you're interested in learning more, send us an email to info at 512solutions.com. Let's go back to our season two guests now. At the end of March, our new reality began to settle in. Many people were feeling isolated, trying to work productively from home, dealing with the challenges of homeschooling and a number of other changes in our personal and professional lives. This was and still is a deeply human experience. So we released an episode on our human workplace needs model, a model we created long before this crisis that enables a deeper level of your humanity to shine through to your people and your organization. We also offered a leading with deep humanity toolkit during this episode to summarize the strategies that we laid out. So these strategies, as I mentioned, are based on our human workplace needs model. And the model moves through six different levels of needs that we all have as human beings in the workplace. Connection, certainty, contributions, clarity. These are core needs that are fundamental to everybody. And then there are two needs, we call them the needs of fulfillment, because when these last two needs are met, people are more engaged, they're more motivated, they're more fulfilled in their workplace. Their challenge and the need for community. So connection with people, certainty as a result of safety, contributions are valued, clarity of the what and how, and then the last two needs of fulfillment, challenge and growth, and community impact. So let's take a look at each of these needs that we all have as people 
and think about how we can provide a deeper, more human experience for our people, our culture, our organization. All right. So the first need is connection with people. What is it? Connection with people is really a sense of belonging. We all have this. We all want to have fulfilling and meaningful relationships with our managers and with our colleagues. At the end of the day, we want to know that we belong, that we ultimately feel loved. It's one of our deepest needs as human beings. So strategies for connecting with your people. How do you do this? Number one, spend more time with your people than usual. I was just coaching an executive yesterday and the entire organization is working virtually. So what does that mean? Get on the phone with people every day. Give them a call without an agenda. Just connect with them personally. Make sure that you're conducting your regular one-on-ones on a consistent basis. You might even have to increase the frequency if your organization is working virtually right now. And how do we build connection with people? We Communicate with transparency to the fullest extent possible. Share what you know, share what you don't know, and make sure that you communicate in a timely fashion and with openness and honesty. People, you don't have to be perfect here. In fact, the buttoned up approach is the exact opposite, right? Be human, be authentic, be real, show emotion, be intimate with people and vulnerable with people. And when you do that, it will build trust and it will build connection with your people. Pitfall to avoid, at the end of the day, don't let people feel isolated. Make sure that people are connected and they're connecting with each other. So that's the first human workplace need, connection with people. Again, it's the need that people have to feel like they belong, that they feel loved, and that they've got meaningful relationships with people around them. As the crisis continued into May, we started observing how different personalities were responding in a virtual environment. Some team members were absolutely thriving, working independently and with less distraction at home. Others were only surviving, missing out on the connection and the community that often comes by being on site in the workplace. In this episode, I brought top disc expert Tammy Krings back in to talk about the four primary personality styles in the workplace using the DISC model, dominance, influence, steadiness, and conscientiousness, and how to connect with each style in a virtual environment. Tammy and I also created a one-page toolkit that will give you strategies on how to connect with each of those styles. Again, you can download that on our episode page at 512solutions.com. And we're seeing styles respond to this virtual environment very differently. And as leaders, it's really important for us to go beyond that one-size-fits-all approach as we're still trying to engage people and stay connected with people and build an environment of psychological safety where we can take some risk and experiment and pivot the business and experiment more and pivot the business. So it's really critical that we start adapting to how these styles are responding. What are you noticing about how the different styles are responding in the virtual environment? So each style is responding quite differently, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things observing is dominant style may have a tendency to go on their own because they're typically very independent. Sometimes they may just go to the next step without considering buy-in from other team members. And so what we're trying to coach them on is it's okay to slow down a little bit right now and ask, does everyone in agreement with where we're going? Are we, are we committing to the same decision? Because 
our desire for variety and that fast pace and independent nature, even the competitive nature of our dominant style can sometimes get in the way when mm -hmm. it's really not as visible right now. In June, I released an episode with my business partner, friend and colleague, Barry Shapiro. He's an executive coach and a psychotherapist because we started noticing a new level of grief that was showing up in the workplace. The challenge for leaders, of course, is knowing how to respond effectively as a manager and a coach without stepping into the bounds of being a counselor or a therapist. During this episode, Barry and I talked about three things. Number one, a normal rea reaction and response to trauma. Number two, how managers should, what managers should do and not do in response to trauma. And number three, how you can take care of yourself so that you can be there for others. To help you implement the concepts Barry and I talked about in this episode, we created a free four-page manager's survival guide to the pandemic. Again, you can get that amazing toolkit on our episode page at 512solutions.com. Part of what you and I have leaned into during this crisis with our clients is the Kubler-Ross grief cycle right. that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote about in her book on grief and grieving. And there's five phases to this cycle. Barry, maybe you can just lay that out for us. Sure. And then that's step one. Then we'll get into how a manager might respond in each of those stages. Sure. So the first question is obviously, why the hell would you have a death and dying model in leadership ever? The question is, what are you losing? Yeah. Because it's a model based on a response to loss of significant types. And usually it's death of a loved one or something similar. And what, what we're finding here is it's loss of certainly normality or normalcy. And that's part of what gets triggered. So without question, it's a traumatic event. It's a traumatic event personally. It's a traumatic event organizationally. It's a traumatic event economically, financially. So in these five cycles that people may be really familiar with, intuitively, if not explicitly, denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance. And the first phase, denial, this is not happening. This will be over quickly. This is like a flu. It's no different. And in fact, it's probably less extreme. At a certain point, the reality is it's not just like something else. It is significant. Yeah. And we move from most people not quite staying at home, certainly, to people in lockdown, with very few exceptions. And what happens there is a frustration, a level of anger, which is, why am I doing this? Is this even the right thing? And who's driving this major change? It's affecting my wallet. And then there's a level of anger. The third is depression, meaning... Anger, Freud said this, is, as some people may know, anger turned inward is depression when it's not focused outward. And usually that's what happens. So the third stage that we can go through is a sense of hopelessness, sadness, or even the free-floating, not feeling great. There's sort of the blues. And it's not necessarily connected to anything that you can tell beyond the obvious event that's happening. Finally there's this bargaining stage where you say, well, maybe, maybe if I don't go out to the bank and the grocery store and I do that for a week, maybe I'll be okay. Maybe I can just change my behavior a bit. And there are these series of bargaining tools or hopes in order for it to get better. And then finally, at a certain point, you realize, you know what? This is the current state. We're in a groove. Everybody is. Who else has been affected? I mean, think about this. 
an event singularly in human existence that has affected every human being on the planet and brought every motion to its knees within 70 days, yeah. if that. And at a certain point, there's some acceptance. And that's when the emotion actually comes down, not up. So denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance, usually associated with loss, death, and dying. In this case, loss of the normal life that you had just yeah. a couple of months ago. Yeah, so there's this grief that we're all facing. I reconnected again with John Wittry in June. You probably remember John from our January interview where we laid out a framework for strategic planning. But for most businesses, plans very quickly became obsolete and completely irrelevant. Here's some information and advice that John provided on how to reset your business strategy and emerge stronger from this crisis. And by the way, you can download our business reprioritization toolkit to help you implement the concepts that John and I talked about in this episode. The way that I've been thinking about this period is to me, it's been a reset. Like every organization has been shaken to its core for some reason or another. And we're only halfway through the year. Like yeah. we're just coming up to the end of Q2. I think it's, it's a great time of the year now to start looking at where the business is noticing any gaps that may or likely exist between where we are today and where our aspirations were at the beginning of the year. And I think leaders have to reset around three things. Number one, their thinking. Number two, certainly the business strategy. And then number three, the culture in which what that enables the business strategy. You just mentioned something earlier in your statement. No one's been through this before. How does that inform leaders in terms of how their thinking needs to change or what's the reset in a way a leader needs to think given this environment that we're in right now? Yeah, I guess the thing that first comes to my mind with that question, Sal, is leaders don't get to fall back on past experience and yeah. resurface something that they've applied in this situation before. And so they're actually either having to really engage their own creativity or they're actually having to be in more dialogue with other people and find out different ways of thinking about things, different ways of viewing things. Maybe this scenario is forcing us as leaders to not be so self-sufficient, but actually to rely more on others, whether they are our peers, whether they're mm -hmm. the people that work with us or for us. But I think maybe I'm hoping a more collaborative style of leadership because there is no past experience to fall back on. It's a really good point. One of the models that we've been looking at, and I know that we've looked at this together, is the idea of how a leader needs to think in a very predictable environment is different than how a leader needs to think in an unpredictable environment. Right. And so in that predictable environment, you're alluding to this, there's a playbook or we can look at a past experience or we can find an expert that has been there, done that. And then we apply those principles to solve the current solution. But we've never been through what we are going through today. It's completely unpredictable. And so the cause and effect is not clear until after the fact. We're sort of coaching our clients around the same thing, which is we think that the way leaders need to, to change their thinking is experiment look for patterns, learn, and then pivot. And it's like right. this never-ending cycle of experimentation in small increments and then learning and then changing the path forward. 
Yeah, and I think it's one of the great things that we could take forward out when we get on the other side of this, because I think it's a great way to operate. Like instead of one person having all the answers and saying, go do this, saying, what should we do? I, I, I think there's one story that if we had more time, I would tell in depth. Recently, I had an experience with a leader who tends towards more command and control style of leadership. My jaw could have hit the floor when I heard him say to his direct reports, what do you think we should do? They didn't know what to say because I don't know that they've ever <laughs> heard him and asked that question before. But I think it's brilliant. And I, I think it, it really points to the time that we're in. No one person knows what to do. But collectively, we can come up with really creative ideas to go test, learn our lessons, pivot, go back and test it again. My interview with Heather McGowan was mind-blowing. If you didn't listen to it, you have to get out to this episode page and check it out. Heather is a future of work strategist, and she shared a ton of insight on how the world is changing, cultural changes, technology changes, and how we all need to evolve our thinking so that we can create a society and a workplace that actually works for more people. What are some of the shifts that leaders need to start making in this environment? Well, one of the things that I say is that we're, you know, the slowest rate of change for the rest of your life is right now. Yeah, right now. No matter when this releases, it'll be right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's just beginning, it's just accelerating more and more. And it, with that's, when that's the case, helping humans adapt to change is everyone's number one job. It's yeah. your number one job as a parent. It's your number one job as a friend. It's your number one job as a coworker. And it's certainly your number one job as a leader. So as we're coming out of the last couple of industrial revolutions, which have really been about scalable efficiency, as John Hagel says, and driving Mm -hmm. human productivity, we're now at a point that the technology tools can really achieve a lot of that efficiency. So we need the humans to be more human. And in order to be more human, you have to feel like you belong somewhere. You have to feel a connection. You have to feel some purpose and self-expression. I mean, those seem like squishy words, but that's really going to be what defines leaders in the future and, and, and workers in the future. Yeah. I saw some of your work, some articles in Forbes, and you were citing some of the research that a lot of the, the large consulting companies have quoted around the top future of work skills. And yeah. nearly all of them are, they're exclusively uniquely human is mm-hmm. what you write. What are some of those skills that are going to be more and more important for people and for leaders? It's everything the machines can't do. So while we're lunging at technology and digital literacy is important and digital fluency is important, the stuff the machines can't do are empathy, creativity, collaboration, yeah. you know, that, those kinds of things. And the other interesting thing about those skills is not only are they non-technical, something like 60% of the skills on the list that I track peak after the age of 40. Mm. Because it takes life experience to gain those skills. They're really more about tacit knowledge than explicit knowledge. Oh, we got to dive into that a little bit. Because yeah. I'm 50, so that makes me feel really good. <laughs> In the last episode of the season, I interviewed best-selling author, global business thinker, and a personal mentor to me, Akeem Nowak. And we talked about the importance of mindfulness to the leader of the future. And even though I recorded this episode earlier in the year before COVID, it couldn't have come at a better time. Here's a bonus question that Akeem responded to that wasn't part of the episode that we originally released just a few weeks ago. So Akeem, I have a bonus question for you. And the question is, when we get attached to outcomes or things, we create our own suffering in life. 
My question is, how can we be engaged in life without being overly attached to a specific outcome or a specific material thing? I've learned that the moment I commit to something, it is more likely to happen. So commitment is really important. Commitment is different Mm -hmm. from attachment to outcome. So I'd love for you to conceptually separate the two. So I would say pursue everything with commitment. And if attaining the goal becomes too difficult, accept the fact that it's not meant to be. And, and the, 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 fine, the fine thing is that part in the middle, which is how much effort is good effort and when does effort become bad effort or desperate effort? You know, so, and I would say part of maturing is knowing I'm really trying too hard right now. This is not supposed to happen. Mm. So that's what we're fine-tuning. So commit means I'm engaging. Attachment to outcome never works. Commit and be clear when it's time to let go. Thank you, Akeem. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me today and throughout season two. Please take a moment to provide a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in. That always helps, and we're very appreciative of that. We'll be back with season three in September with more amazing people, more amazing content and tools to help you lead with purpose and with more humanity. And if you want to learn more about how we can help transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders that are prepared for the future, check out our website at 512solutions.com. Don't forget to check out all of the free downloads that we offered this season. Again, 12 of them in total. You'll find them in each episode session notes on our website at 512solutions.com. I look forward to reconnecting with you soon. I'm out.